Good afternoon, Nate. Thank you for filling in while your brother is out of town. Well, thanks for having me. I, I've just started off by disclosing who you are, but um, for anyone who doesn't know, Nathan writes and edits and films and takes photos and does all kinds of things for Macon, and he also happens to be Eugene's younger brother. Guilty so as if, charged. if at the point in this podcast in the middle, you're like, you forget that it's Nate, it's totally understandable. <laughs> Similar voice. So what happened to you this week? What's been going on? Well, mostly just uh, trying to get a few things, uh, you know, on editorial side, just um, getting some stories up that are actually coming from some of our contributors. So we're yeah. pretty excited to uh, um, hear some new voices, get some new takes on things. So that's been very exciting. Okay, can I can I tell you about a um, guilty pleasure that I've been indulging in for the past week? Please. I downloaded the New York Times crossword app and have been paying money for it because it costs money. Okay, so they give you a seven day trial and then it costs money. And now I've just been doing like multi, like more than one a day or attempting to do more than one a day because I've just been like addicted. So, but as far as addictions go, I think like this one's not. You know, it's not unhealthy per se. I think that's a healthy vice to have. And I mean, I feel like that's something I should have. Like, how, how much is it? Um, Gosh, I forgot. I was, because it's like a monthly subscription. That sounds like a great way to anyway, build so vocabulary. Day trial, yeah. So go for it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for um, Join this. me. And then when I get stuck, I'll just message you. Oh, that sounds great. Okay. Yeah, let's definitely do it. I'd love, no, I definitely want to try this out. Okay. I'm keen. I've been, I've been converting people slowly. (laughs) All right. So, um, it's kind of funny. I saw a theme in our two topics Mm -hmm. that we picked. I don't know if you saw it too. I saw it. I'm going to call this the dystopia episode. Agreed. (laughs) That is, that's a very apt description. Yeah. So what I wanted to talk to you about is this Wired article that was published that talks about big data meeting big brother as China moves to rate its citizens. And the plan in place, this article is written by Rachel Botsman, and it was published this month. And the plan in place by the government was actually announced three years ago, so it's not necessarily something new, but Mm -hmm. I think it's not been covered a lot. I don't think it's, I don't know, did you hear about this before? Um, No, this is the first, like when you brought it up to me, that's the first I had heard of uh, like this social credit system, yeah. Yeah. So as as you mentioned, um, what it is, is that the government in China is planning this system to assign citizens trust scores. And just so the number is out there, China has 1.3 billion people. So there's a lot of people, a lot of scoring, and it's a current um, voluntary system. There's a couple of pilot programs that they've got underway, but it's going to become mandatory by 2020 to be part of this. So the pilots that they have in place it's funny because it makes so much sense that it's run by these companies. So the two pilots, one is run by Tencent, which owns WeChat, mm-hmm. and the other one is run by Alibaba slash Alipay. And both are huge players in China. And the reason why I said, you know, this makes a lot of sense that these are the two companies running the pilots is because basically everyone in China is already using these services, like, you know, right. voluntarily. Yeah. Like they they choose to use WeChat and Alipay to text their friends and blog and pay for taxis and pay for right. restaurant bills, everything. And so there's, 
no need for the government to coerce people to go onto these platforms. They're already there. And the reason why I picked this, I didn't pick this to talk about, you know, China's political state, because I, I don't think that's necessarily our area of expertise. But I picked this because I think about how we in not China, the people who are not in China, opt to voluntarily give up our information um, to different services and how actually the whole social credit system is not that far-fetched. Right. I, I think, I mean, I read too that um, the general reaction from, I guess, uh, I guess anybody in the Western world hearing this is like, it's straight out of 1984. It's Orwellian or whatever. But um, I think we're also, we also fail to consider how much we have actually signed off on similar, like, um, you know, similar services like you know, Facebook, every, yeah. oh, so many people have Facebook and um, just the amount of data we're already giving up. Yep. It's, you know, it's, it's unconscious now, right? Mm -hmm. It's just the second we hear, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to drop the reference, but now that we hear about a social credit system that can actually impact your life and even the lives of people around you, you know, that's straight out of Black Mirror for <laughs> anyone who's seen yeah. that episode. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, but you can describe it if you want. Basically, it got to the point where you would rate your individual interactions with everybody you saw. So if you got a cup of coffee and you were not satisfied, you would instantly not rate the shop, but you would rate the person that just served you. Yeah. And if you fall below a certain rating, you know, like a, you know, less than like three or something, you'll start to, I don't know, you could lose your job. You could lose the chance to live in a gated community, yep, yep. very um, direct impacts on your day-to-day -day life. I see there's one standby seat on another plane leaving tonight. Oh, uh, that's reserved for members of our prime flight program. You got to be a 4.2 or over to qualify. Oh, I'm, I'm a 4.2. <laughs> mm -mm. I'm afraid you're actually a 4.183. Well, that's not my fault. Um, some woman dinged me down in the cadre. Can't you just... I'm sorry, it won't let me book it without the correct ranking. But it's so close. There's just nothing I can do. Christ, I mean, surely. I'm going to have to ask you to moderate your language then. Yeah, and actually that's one part of the China social credit system that's particularly interesting because there are certain parts of it that's not surprising. Mm -hmm. So the part that's not surprising is the credit history part, which right. is something that's common in the States anyway, right, to right. keep track of, you know, are you paying your bills? Like, how did you do paying off your mortgage? Right? Like, I think yeah. that's commonly tracked those financial, those large financial situations. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's less common is to have other individuals rate you like you're describing from right. Black Mirror and having that then affect your access and affect, you know, what privileges you might have. And that's kind of scary to think that like, because we're colleagues, yeah. like Nate could rate me as a coworker, you know, on right. a scale of one to 10. And that could be like public record. And the, and the other way around too is like, it's just, um, the scary thing is like with, with credit ratings, like that's been around so long to the point of, you know, it's understandable, I guess it's accepted with, money is concerned, uh, the amount you're paying back and like how soon you're paying it back. Those are fairly quantifiable things. But the, the issue is also that, um, you're going to be rated on things that are not easily quantifiable, right? Like I think, and there, because this is in the end to, 
you know, enforce a, a desired social behavior or set of behaviors. And I don't know, like, let's just say, for example, uh, somebody smiled less. And yeah. that's, or it's a, uh, at the end, sorry, just to just take a step back here. The basic idea is to raise or rate someone's trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. And how do you turn that into a number, right? Yeah, it's very subjective because it's not, like you said, it's not based off of something quantifiable, like right. that we can all agree on, such as currency. Um, and actually, to tie this back into kind of our world of, you know, creativity and technology, do you remember the news item with people, the app spelled P-E-E-P-L-E? I don't quite remember. Could you jog my memory? Okay. So people was founded in 2014 by mm-hmm. these two women and it was announced in late 2015. And basically it was described as Yelp for people. And what it is, is it allows people like anyone, you and me individuals to leave recommendations for other individuals based off of whatever they wanted and professional, personal, romantic attachments. Right. And it was immediately like super controversial. And everyone was like, this is a terrible idea and needs to be abandoned immediately. Right. It's funny that you mentioned that because I hadn't heard of people, but I remember like, you know, once upon a time I was in university mm-hmm. and there was ratemyprofessor.com. Yeah. And just, I mean, even though that's just for professors, you know, it just, it just takes one disgruntled student mm-hmm. to just, and I think that's, you know, kind of already a thing with, um, you know, our, you know, our social media heavy um, uh, world now. Yeah. It also reminds me of Glassdoor which we don't find problematic. So Glassdoor is the um, website where coworkers or former coworkers can rate their workplaces mm-hmm. and say, oh, you know, it's it's a, an, an anonymous place where you could say, you know, they pay late or um, they gave me a bad severance package or whatever it is, right. right? But it's like, I'm just trying to play the devil's advocate and say maybe rating is not always a bad thing because mm-hmm. we've, right. we've let these kind of rating sites come into our lives in different ways. Right. You know, things like just food reviews, like if, if um, generally speaking, if you, uh, it incentivizes a certain behavior, which could mean, you know, better service or better incentives for the people using them. So that is one positive you could see to this. Yeah. Basically the, the issue I have though is because it's just such a big set of, things to be rated in this, uh, you know, in this project that China's doing. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously done by vested interests. Yes. So, um, and the other issue is that 2020 is only, you know, less than three years away. You know, I don't know all the ins and outs, but China has a history of doing these large projects that basically mobilize the entire country behind a given goal. Mm-hmm. And while it's great if you want compliance, the impacts of it are really hard to predict, right? Mm-hmm. It is interesting because the Wired article does talk to some people in China and there was one interviewee who said that maybe the social credit system is not such a bad thing because at least it provides a degree of transparency in the sense that you know what China is doing, like you know how the government is judging you. Right. Because Chinese citizens, you know, they accept we're being judged regardless, Mm -hmm. but with the SES, maybe we can game it in a way. Like we can see what's happening. Right. Yeah. The the gamification thing um, was probably a a very um, 
I think that was a pretty accurate way to describe it because it's not, uh, I mean, there are obviously more coercive means that uh, China probably employs that they, they might not elsewhere, but this gamification is in some ways, like it makes sense to, for people to, to make more people comply with it. Um, but um, the issue is though, is, I mean, this is a very seemingly Chinese thing, I guess, is it's not just you. So if you say something controversial and your rating goes down, you also bring down your circle to people in, you know, your, your yeah. fa- friends and family too, yeah. Yeah. which means the, the control aspect definitely, it runs itself because, you know, maybe like, again, we're coworkers. It's like, oh, Sharice, are you sure you want to say that controversial thing? Um, mm-hmm. My rating's not doing great at, uh, alone. So maybe right. you'd better not do that for our sake. Right. I do think about, so I was reading this article and we live on the edge of China. So it's mm-hmm. not so far-fetched to imagine this affecting our lives in really real ways mm-hmm. um, where if we choose to use WeChat and Alipay, we're also in this Chinese database and it might affect us. But what's interesting to me still is how Western media is approaching this degree without it being a government enforced thing. One thing the article brought up as a metaphor was Uber and Yelp. Mm. So on Uber, um, you rate the driver, but the driver also rates you. Right. So it's, it is a kind of co-surveillance thing. Mm. I mean, surveillance makes it sound really dark and dystopic, but it is, right? Like yeah. you rate me, I rate you. And also for Yelp, like you have a rating as a reviewer, like you can be a novice or an expert or whatever, or like right. how trustworthy your reviews are. It's true. And also like restaurants have reviews, right? So that that's so true. That makes like I think it just um I think that should be really the the takeaway for a lot of people who see this for the first time is I mean, it sounds like, you know, uh, like it's like, I don't know, like the sky is falling, that kind of reaction. But you actually are involved in these kinds of transactions, these interactions already. You just have been using them so long or you adopted it so quickly, you just didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And I think also we, unfortunately, not, we're not clever and we have given private companies a lot of our data, a lot of control. And we don't really read terms and conditions and we've signed over. We're so willing to accept whatever these private services, you know, do in our lives, but we trust that they're not going to turn around and then, you know, okay. I know this is going to sound very black mirror-ish, but like sell our information to the government. Right. I, I know I sound like a conspiracy No, 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 no. But just like, like, this, like- is, this, this is, if there was a time for you and I to put on our tinfoil hats, oh this would be the time. Like, just, yeah, because yeah. like I think about, you know, there's been all of these crime cases before, right? Where like there's some suspect, like there's been some homicide and then the police think the suspect could be it and they want like access to their iPhone and Facebook and Instagram and whatever right, it is. Right. And then in like that situation, do the private companies agree? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and and a lot of that hinges on like you support it because you're like, well, I'm I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything that's um that's rattling any cages. So there's no reason for my data to be, um, you know, of any value. So yeah, sure, just just take it if it makes my life easier, my you know really high speed stressful life easier. Please take my information. But you know what's so interesting about the way you phrase that is. Mm-hmm. 
our perception that, you know, the data we're giving is clean anyway. So it's like we're self-monitoring already. Right. Like, is what's on record okay with the government or not? Like, yeah. we somehow have an idea. Yeah. It's freaky. Okay, so the government's, um, I guess, it's kind of like a blur between who do you trust? Like, gov- do you trust big governments or big, like, corporations? Because... Uh, you hope the government, you trust the government has your best interests um, in mind and hopefully the corporations because they just want you to buy more, say buy more stuff. But um, we assume, if we assume these like interactions are still just pure like transparency, right? Mm-hmm. I rate the company, they rate me as a customer. But there was also discussion that these interactions could, you know, be subverted like later. Like for example, if my score is not doing well. Maybe mm-hmm. I made a few mistakes. Maybe I was, I was late to work yeah. a few more times than I'd liked. I could either hire a consultant to, yeah. you know, advise me on how, how can I raise my social credit or yeah. can I, yo, can you go into the code a bit and just give me a few more yeah. like bumps? Yeah. Well, yeah. with any, it's, it's, I thought about this too. Like with any system that you erect, there's going to be a way to hijack that, to use it in your favor, to work around it. And it already has been done with, uh, you know, buying Instagram likes, yeah, Facebook likes. Yeah. It's, so in a lot of ways, I guess. Uh, We're feeding something wrong right. information. There's that too. It's still possible with the um, SCS as well. Like you could intentionally make misleading purchases or, you know, cloak yourself in some way. Yeah. God, we Eugene is going to listen to this and he's just going to be like, you two became conspiracy theorists on <laughs> the <laughs> podcast. Um <laughs> I actually wanted to also use this topic to plug a book I read by a a while ago now. It was published um, in 2010, but it's really relevant to this SES. It's called Super Sad True Love Story by Gary Steingart. And what exists in the book is exactly what's described. It's just so accurate. It it was like how, you know, you watch Black Mirror episodes and you think like that's going to become reality. Same thing for this book. So I think I'm actually going to revisit it to see how it might inform how I should navigate the SES. You know, when it comes to fictional dystopias, there's, there's a lot that we could read up on. Watch. I could talk for hours on, on dystopias, but, um, which is perfect because we still have another half of this segment, which, uh, (laughs) I will use that as a segue into my topic. If I may, So the topic that I um, I read up on was uh, Adobe. They conducted a um, survey of about 600 creative workers mm-hmm. on basically their opinion of AI advances. And what they had found was the majority of junior ones, which could probably imply younger creatives, uh, support these advances and they think it's going to make their jobs easier. But the, on the other hand, the ones that think um, AI is coming for our jobs uh, mm-hmm. is mostly uh, senior ones. Uh, in this case, 48% of the uh, ones who thought it was going to take their jobs were senior creatives. Even though the, sur- the findings found that um, you know senior creatives thought this way, there's actually very little cause for concern mm-hmm. uh, because of the advances uh, in AI that they're going to apply to. I assume just Adobe products, 
are more the ones that just get rid of the, you know, the, you know, the like menial like tests, like tagging tasks? photos, okay. uh, like maybe content where stuff that, you know, the stuff that really isn't that creative, you know, um, like something that's kind of repetitive or tedious. Right. Those, and the, those sort of the tasks. things you don't go to school for, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't take a course on tagging photos or file naming. Yeah. Right. So that was the basic um, idea there that there's no cause for concern. There was another article I read where um, he was a professor at Carnegie Mellon. His name was John Zimmerman. He said that most of the AI is too complex for creatives to really use it in a way that could replace a person. Like machine learning, developing an AI and like as in developing AI is too difficult right now for us to modify for our own purposes. Yeah, like you couldn't, um, I guess to, to frame it in a, a creative's world, the majority of design work is iterative. It comes off of getting, um, mm-hmm. you know, like a, say a client's preferences and tailoring a product to meet their um, their needs, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess the fear, you know, the the panic would be, what if they created an AI designer right. that could replace a human? Just like, you know, uh, just like a robot is replacing an auto factory worker. Right, right, right. Um, so the, his, um, his, fine, uh, his opinion is that these systems are too complex for uh, creatives to use them. But also there's just no, there's no integration into the creative workflow. Like you're... As of now. Does he suggest that it could happen in the future? Um, maybe. If, maybe if the education changed, like uh, he compared user experience and AI are very separate things. Basically, you would not use a, a machine, like an AI, to do that type of work anyways. And you're not being trained to do it in your education, pro, in your, tr- in your uh, schooling and all that. So right now, there, is, there isn't a very like, palpable connect between the two. Do you see where AI could be useful in your workflow? In my workflow? Uh, well, it already is. And um, that actually leads me to my next point is the idea of a robo designer uh-huh. is pretty far off but we a lot of us already use um things that use ai like content aware that you know that comes from the results of like you know lots of data and algorithms to spot uh, spot heal you know color grade. like those kinds of things are immediately useful to to us right mm-hmm. we use those that's where i can see it being useful but where I also see the threat of AI advances there because uh, Adobe has actually created uh, an engine or a technology called Voco, which okay. is basically content aware for audio. Ah. So um, I will include this later, but there's a clip where they uh, hosted a session with, uh, they include Jordan Peele, you know, the comedian. Yep, yep. And they took off of 20 minutes of his speech, they were able to make him say things he had never said before. So, I, I heard that um, actually that on that day, uh, Michael actually kissed uh, our Jordan. So, Sorry? to recover the truth, let's do it. So let's remove the word my here. 
your secrets out, Jordan. And uh, just uh, type the word Jordan. And here we go. And uh, uh, I kissed Jordan and my dogs. <laughs> oh, that's so freaky. That is where I see it being an issue because you get somebody who's really good with Photoshop. And oh, they can, you know, yeah. Yeah. I've already, I've read about this as well. Yeah. I mean, generally you we're getting better at seeing you know, where the issues, cause you know, eyes, we can say, Oh, the shadows off here or, um, the time of day doesn't matter. The shot uh, like that doesn't match, but for audio, your ears could probably fool you. Uh, in certain well, ways. you yeah. know, okay. I, I genuinely thought that this conversation was going somewhere else with in, in discussing digital tools, but mm. to go off of what you're talking about, like where we can, you know, fake audio, fake video, even, Humans are actually really bad at figuring, we, we shared this in the briefing before too, we're really bad at figuring out if something is fake or not. We are, yeah. Like photos, we're not as good as we think we are, like yeah. about shadows and whether something was photoshopped in. And the tools are now so good, like as you've described with mm -hmm. Adobe, that anyone can fake a thing and right. have probably lots of people believe it's real. I saw some, I watched uh, something on Netflix, just, they're talking about, um, you know, the the Shroud of Turin or whatever, but basically mm -hmm. they thought they found inscriptions in this religious artifact, mm -hmm. but the mind is also capable of filling in blanks where it mm -hmm. thinks it sees letters. And I just see all sorts of problems for um, audio, video, and still images. But you know, it's interesting is that the solution is not to slow down advancements in technology. Like we can't, we're not going to be able to slow down Adobe's content aware getting better, yeah, the vocal getting better. Like it's just going to yeah. improve until any child could, you know, modify audio that way. Um, so what I think has to happen is there has to be, well, one, there has to be education for more people on yep. reality and, you know, fake photos, fake video, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then also technology that can check whether something is real or not. Right. I, mean, I don't know what that looks like. I'm not savvy enough to tell you like what an audio checker tool yeah. is, but it would yeah. have to be able to go through the Voco creation and verify like, oh, you know, this isn't something Jordan Peele would say. Right. I think they're, they did mention something about like an audio watermark of sorts. And, you know, I think that's just, you know, the, that's, you know, that's ethically a thumbs up for me, but it's also just good business being able to, um, being able to create a parallel technology to go. It's a fail safe in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, to go back to that survey, the, the explanation for the findings was the junior creatives are more willing to accept uh, advances in AI because they're newer to their respective fields. Yeah. So they have fewer ingrained processes. Um, you know, that, that make them more open to anything that just makes their job easier. Whereas the senior level ones, like they've been working at this for so long in the industry that they have, um, you know, their processes, their workflows down to a T. So this new, it seems like a gadget, like a, like a, like a widget, mm -hmm. this thing better improve my game, at least say 10% for me to consider it. Right. Mm -hmm. I have a couple of comments on that. One is have been a junior designer before. Mm -hmm. And I also understand why the results of this survey are the way they are, because a lot of a junior designers responsibilities are menial and boring and repetitive. Mm. And they would love to have AI take over those tasks. 
when I was an intern, I've spent countless hours removing the backgrounds on objects. So I've done art objects. I've done grocery items. Just like if, if Adobe could develop a tool that was able to remove the backgrounds to objects as well as like a human can, I'm all for it. It would save everyone a lot of time. Um, And the other thing I wanted to say was I, I don't, want to be one of those designers and and same for you as a writer. I don't want to be a creative who glorifies some kind of labor intensive process. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, if something comes along and it can improve your workflow and make it better, I wouldn't want to stick to the long way of doing things just to you know, make myself sound like just oh. for brownie points for ego, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I did this the long, hard way. It, it's funny that you're bringing this up because I have not written this in my notes, but it seems you've read my mind. I was thinking, does the long way have like, because obviously you can't be a create, like, you can't be extremely good at your work. You can't be completely successful just relying on these tools, anyways. It, like you said, just gets rid of the really menial stuff that you've probably started your career doing. I was going to say, I feel like these tools should be valued and should be, should continue to be developed, but you should only really like start using them after you've done, you know, the hard way. Hmm. Let's just say, I don't know, you've done it for like 10 hours. You know how it's supposed to be done. Now, please give me a, like something to change that. Hmm. Cause I feel by doing these small, like little tasks over a few times, you do learn some extra skills in the process that you might miss out on. Like, I'm not saying I need to be able to grade a photo. Like, like right now, my photo work is not the point. I can grade completely from scratch. We rely on preset. I rely on presets, right? Um, but I feel I've missed out on something by not grading completely from scratch once. Maybe do it once maybe 10 times enough for me to like, I don't know, hate life. Then we start using the presets to know what they actually do. I think that's the value. I see your point. I do see your point. Because also when you take the time to do things from zero, you might learn something in that process that could be modified in a way that AI wouldn't know how to modify it. Right. Or you wouldn't even know enough to tell AI to modify it in this way. Because sometimes maybe you want to break up a process. You want to do something slightly different. And if you just went straight for the automated option, you wouldn't even be aware of what other things you could do. Right. And another thing too is uh, integrating that automated process into your workflow. It might not necessarily be smooth. There could be something that it does out of the box that you don't want it to, Mm -hmm. that you have to go back later to fix So Mm -hmm. I guess it just comes down to you got to know yourself, know which is the biggest pain point of the biggest pain point and find something to automate that. And then I do. It's funny because I was so sure I was going to say like, if the robots come and they can do, you know, 90% of my job and the 90% is all of the less creative work and that lets me focus on the really good problem solving creative stuff like let the robots come you know but now that you've mentioned that it it would it 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 does take away 
from being a I'm trying to how do I don't know how to phrase this. It does take it, away from the full dimension of being a creative. Yeah. I I think um like there's definitely a, a distinct human touch, human element in there that um you assume can't be replaced anytime soon. But like you said, where, where's that magic number where it's a watershed moment for for AI like creation? Is it 50% of my workflow, 90% mm -hmm. of it? Um, I, sh I should mention that the biggest, uh, although I said a robo designer is still ways off, the biggest danger that comes from them is, um, like, you know how you would probably present a lot of options to a client, like a lot of different variations. Mm -hmm. They would be able to do that really quickly, but they might also do things that you might not have thought of because of you have your own, um, uh, your own set of beliefs, your own biases and stuff. But uh, AI doesn't think that way. They just, maybe they think this, according to this algorithm, this is yeah. the most visually attractive piece. And we could not have thought of that, but they thought about it. They submitted it to a client, client likes it. And I don't know. It's just Well, I mean, there are a <laughs> lot of, I get a lot of potential jobs where I think if I could just pop out, like if the client could just access a new AI generated logo, it would serve their purposes. Because sometimes there are cases where they just want a logo that looks like their competitors in that industry, but it's just slightly different and it's using their name. You know, and I don't, I don't know if maybe in that case, you really don't need to get a human involved. Right. Maybe that's for the, that saves us all time. I'm not sure. Uh, on one hand, it sounds like I shouldn't encourage more automated work. But on the other hand, I think maybe increased automation allows, give, will give us freedom to do other stuff. Yeah, I, I think that that's definitely how I see it. Like, I'm pretty optimistic about technology. Like, just um, in case people listening to this think that, you know, I've been watching Terminator 2 too much. <laughs> um, I do think that what... AI and technology has done for me as a creative, it's allowed me to just create more things across different fields. Whereas, you know, way back when I couldn't have thought of taking pictures, um, I don't know, illustrating an illustrator, mm -hmm. just doing all these things because it would have taken way too much time to learn. Yeah. So I, if, if um, technology enables me to just to amplify my creativity, then yeah, I'm all for it. Chris Lim, our, uh, the Megan, Photographer, Our photographer didn't know how to use Adobe Bridge to rename files. And I saw him one day going through like hundreds of photos and renaming them like with the date and timestamp, et cetera. Right. And I said, there is something you can do that automates that and I'll do it in a second. And his mind was just like blown. Right. So that's an example of really good use. And then I also think about, I mean, I don't know what this looks like yet, but I, similar to how we were talking on my topic about whenever a system is in place, people can break it. Right. I imagine when AI is even more common, we can use it to create art in interesting ways. Right. It's like how people use content aware in Photoshop to create like really interesting content aware compositions. Right. That's something that like, I guess 
just to balance it out, that's the good, that's the light side of it is these technologies will let you, you know, just do that much more. Um, and many, many more people will be able to do the, do that much more. Mm -hmm. But on the, the other side, AI, um, whether it be the, um, the social credit system or for creative technologies, these algorithms are all designed by a programmer or like uh, an engineer and that engineer or programmer is informed by mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. some other body. So that's the only thing I'm really scared of is just the, you know, over time, how it shifts things. But, yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's like how Eugene has been talking a lot lately about journalism is never objective mm. because ultimately there's a human behind the choices. Right. It's the same for algorithm. We cannot mm. pretend that AI is objective because it was ultimately created by a human with their own biases. Good place to cap things off. Yeah, especially day. because uh, you hear that banging. I don't know if they can hear I that bang. I don't but know those, if it's picking those, up. Those are the robots. Those are the robots <laughs> coming. No, I'm just joking. Coming for us right now. Um, okay, so if you are interested in hearing more about Macon and our membership opportunities, you can visit us at macon.com where we have more stories you can listen to on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can also do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend. I'd like to say a really big thank you to Nate. I'm not Eugene. <laughs> I'm sure is. And this is making it up. <laughs> <laughs>